I'm Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, July 31st, 2018. Coming up, part two of my interview with Professor Doug Seals on the aging vascular system. We'll dive into some interventions that slow and even reverse the effects of aging. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. In my interview today, I talked to Professor Doug Seals about fixes for an aging vascular system. It's appealing to think that maybe we can take a pill to slow aging. But another approach goes after the root cause of aging, so-called senescent cells that spread aging, kind of like an infection through the body. Cellular senescence is caused by various stresses, such as oxidation damage. What results is a cell that no longer divides and activates a set of genes that produces inflammatory compounds affecting nearby cells, turning them senescent too. In new research published last week in the journal Nature Medicine, scientists report that drugs called senolytic agents can selectively target senescent cells and even rejuvenate old mice. First, the researchers transplanted senescent cells into young mice. After a month, they measured walking speed, endurance, and muscle strength. They were all significantly reduced, and it was proportional to the number of transplanted senescent cells. Next, they administered a senolytic drug called D plus Q to the treated mice. One five-day treatment with D plus Q either immediately after the cells were transplanted or even five weeks later, was sufficient to reverse the impaired function. This effect lasted a few months, which is a long time in the lifetime of a mouse. And then finally, they took old mice and injected them with the drug. These mice were equivalent to a human age of 75 to 90 years. The treatment extended their lifespan by 36% without any further declines in function. There were no mention of side effects in the mice, but human trials are coming up. Not familiar with the pollutant called ground-level ozone? Ozone is an invisible, odorless gas that can either protect us or harm us depending on where it's found. Since the 1950s, the U.S. has been monitoring and regulating the amount of ground-level ozone in our air. Yet that term, ground-level ozone, remains an unfamiliar one to many of us. The University of Colorado Museum of Natural History has a new exhibit exploring this molecule with both an indoor exhibit and an outdoor garden. You can learn how human activities have increased the amount of ground-level ozone to a level that is harmful to life, ranging from plants to humans. The ozone garden demonstrates the impacts of this invisible gas. The exhibit also identifies simple changes in everyday behaviors that will reduce ozone levels. You can visit the museum website for hours and directions. Think you've got strep or maybe another, even worse, bacterial infection like tuberculosis? Your typical resource is limited to seeing a medical professional who takes a sample and then sends it out to a lab for culturing. This is a process that can take days or even weeks. Now, researchers at a biotech company in Sunnyvale, California, report that they've created a new biochip that can run a scan for microbes in less than two hours. When a sample, say a cheek swab or a blood draw, is loaded on the chip, 
It carries out five separate chemical procedures to isolate genetic material and screen it against DNA sequences from species that are known to cause disease. The scientists also use the chip to identify mutations in the microbes that can cause antibiotic resistance. The chip test could dramatically improve treatment of infectious diseases and reduce antibiotic resistance by ensuring that doctors prescribe only those medications for which the bugs are vulnerable. These results were published last week in Nature Biotech. This week, I'm playing the final segment of a two-part series I taped recently with Doug Seals, a professor in the Department of Integrative Physiology at CU here in Boulder. Dr. Seals studies what happens to our blood vessels as we age. He'll talk about why the damage is a big deal for our cardiac health and other age-related disorders and what we can do about it. Here's Professor Seals. Aging is the main risk factor for uh, increasing cardiovascular disease risks. So as we get older, our risk of all types of cardiovascular diseases essentially increases. And the question is why that, why that occurs. Uh, it, it becomes especially compelling when you consider the fact that uh, the number of late middle age and older adults uh, are increasing and will continue to increase in the foreseeable future. So you actually have more uh, people in society, uh, in, in countries like the United States, other developed countries, and even in developing countries that are coming out uh, that will be here in, the, in this age range. And so you'll have a lot more people that are at high risk of cardiovascular disease based on age. So we try to figure out exactly what is it about aging that increases our risk of cardiovascular disease, and most importantly, what can we do about it? That's really the, the focus of our research. And it turns out that um, aging increases your risk of cardiovascular disease in at least three major ways, and probably some other ways too. But one, there are direct effects of aging on the heart, and that's not something that we study uh, but we follow that work a bit and, and could talk a little bit about that. But uh, the two other ways that aging drives up our risk of, of getting cardiovascular disease is by increasing our, our blood pressure, and, and in particular the systolic blood pressure, which is the top number in the blood pressure reading when you go to your doctor's office. And something that we study very um, closely is the changes that occur to your arteries as you age. And this turns out to be a major reason why our risk of clinical cardiovascular disease increases with age, those changes in our arteries that occur, uh, has now led to uh, another area of research within our lab in which we've uh, tried to identify uh, nutraceutical compounds or natural compounds that um, 
are based usually on either some kind of of a molecule that the body produces or um, that are found in f- certain foods, so dietary supplements or what's called functional foods, and how uh, supplementing the diet with those types of compounds might produce at least part of the benefits of these healthy lifestyle behaviors that we were just talking about. So that's kind of the model or the paradigm, uh, the approach that we've taken. And so what we've uh, studied in the last 10 or 12 years are a variety of these compounds that um, we believe could mimic at least part of the positive effects of these healthy lifestyle behaviors. Um, One of the compounds that you had mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation is uh, an antioxidant, but not a general antioxidant such as vitamin C or vitamin E um, or a multivitamin. It's it's an antioxidant that that specifically uh, blocks the uh, reactive oxygen species produced by uh, a an organelle within our cells called mitochondria. And mitochondria have many roles uh, in the body and in our cells, but one of them is, is to produce energy. And as a consequence of producing energy for our cells, for our tissues, uh, they, they create a lot of reactive oxygen species or free radicals, as the audience might uh, recognize your listeners. And so with aging, our mitochondria produce an excessive amount of these reactive oxygen species or or free radicals. And that causes oxidative stress um, or oxidant damage to our cells and our tissues. So this is thought to be a key mechanism by which our cardiovascular system, quote-unquote, ages and increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. Exercise and eating a healthy diet and and restricting calories, all of those lifestyle practices we've shown in our previous research to reduce mitochondrial reactive oxygen species production. So, again, that was the way we identified this as a possible target for a pharmacological-type compound. And so we've just completed a series of studies, first in mice and then more recently in people, in which we've given... um, these um, mitochondrial-specific antioxidants that work their way into the cells and block uh, reactive oxygen species production by the uh, mitochondria and shown that in both mice and people, we improve um, the arterial stiffness and we improve this uh, endothelial function, the lining of the blood vessels, um, with with supplementing these these mitochondrial specific antioxidants, so uh, that is a good example of how we've transferred our observations from healthy lifestyle practices to uh, potential pharmacological compounds and and uh, supplements. So, have you looked at additive effects among all these factors? I mean, obviously. Lifestyle factors are probably the preferred mode for keeping reactive oxygen species under control and for keeping your vascular system healthy. But what if you are doing all those healthy things and you take one of these mitochondrial-specific antioxidants as well? Does that augment your vascular function then? Yeah, we 
we we haven't actually done those studies um, because we were first trying to establish whether these pharmacological approaches do or don't mimic some of the beneficial effects of those you know conventional healthy lifestyle practices. So we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. My guess is is that if you are exercising regularly. Uh, if you are managing your energy intake, you're not overeating, and you're eating a relatively healthy diet from a standpoint of food composition, uh, you don't need any of these um, supplements probably because the um, arterial health-promoting effects, again, of those healthy lifestyle practices, um, there's good evidence that they will keep your arteries, you know, pretty young throughout uh, throughout the lifespan. So uh, the question is for the you know significant portion of the population that um, has difficulty adhering to these healthy lifestyle practices, are any of these um, healthy lifestyle mimicking approaches as we call them, uh, are they are they valid? Can are they evidence based? You know, um, right. do we have data actually supporting them? So that's where things are sort of at. We're we're still testing whether uh, various types of these of pharmacological approaches do have healthy lifestyle mimicking effects in terms of your cardiovascular system. Right. And have you found several of these interventions or the the pharmaceutical mimetics, as you call them, have you found them to be pretty similar in their effect? Like, for instance, MitoQ, the mitochondrial-specific antioxidant, is that pretty similar in effect to something like rapamycin, or which inhibits a, a completely different pathway, or... Um, the, the NAD boosting compound that you've also done some small experiments with. Yeah, so the you know the um, the the NAD plus boosting compounds. This is a coenzyme that is involved in regulating a cell metabolism and and oxidative stress. Um, and it turns out that higher levels of of this will activate the same kind of cellular pathways that are activated when we go on a diet. So uh, this, this pathway, this cellular process has been studied as a potential pathway that can mimic uh, caloric restriction. So cause the cellular effects of caloric restriction without actually going on a diet, in other words. So a a couple of different compounds have been produced that will activate these pathways in cells that are sensitive to caloric restriction. And um, again, we've performed studies now in mice and then just published a study in humans looking at uh, both of these compounds. And it does appear that, that activating those caloric restriction mimicking pathways um, do have cardiovascular benefits. Uh, we lowered, we see reduced blood pressure. We see reduced um, arterial stiffness, in particular, uh, with with that kind of treatment. Right now, we're really trying to get a sense again for comparing these various types of 
pharmacological approaches against the actual healthy lifestyle practices. So we haven't compared one pharmacological approach to another pharmacological approach. The question at this level of sort of maturity of, of the science is simply, you know, do these mimic or not healthy lifestyle practices? And um, so we've studied, for example, curcumin, which is the active ingredient in uh, curry spice turmeric. Um, uh, that that gives it its its char- Indian food its characteristic yellow color. Um, uh, that has been purported to have antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. Um, supplementing the diet with curcumin, for example, improved uh, vascular endothelial function, uh, the lining of the blood vessels, the the function that comes uh, from that area of the artery. Um, improved that in middle age and older adults after we had shown it was effective in, in improving arterial function in, in older mice. So uh, we are now building up um, our understanding of these various pathways that we can get at with um, pharmacological approaches, What we, again, what we call nutraceuticals, so not prescription drugs, but can we supplement the diet with natural compounds that activate these cellular pathways that we know are activated by exercise, caloric restriction, and eating a healthy diet composition, uh, and see some uh, benefits for folks who, um, again, cannot adhere to those healthy lifestyle practices. Right. So unfortunately, there are always going to be those people. And it strikes me that, you know, it's always preferable to do the least invasive kind of therapy like exercise or healthy lifestyle, as in diet. But then again, you get into a dose response issue, like how much exercise is the right amount? Um, Do you want to calorically restrict yourself all the time or is too much CR a bad idea some of the time? And I, and I think uh, that's definitely the case with, um, with caloric restriction in the setting of aging. So one of the – we talked about uh, caloric restriction based on the research uh, we and other labs have done in, in, in rodents and in people being this very powerful uh, stimulus and lifestyle practice for preserving arterial health with aging. But the problem is, is that, um, as you might – Yes, if you think it through, is that caloric restriction also has effects in reducing body mass, reducing bone density, uh, can induce weight loss, as uh, is the case if, if it's being used in a weight loss study context. And if you're a normal weight, uh, late middle age and older adult, one of the main concerns uh, moving on in, into older age is this uh, condition, the syndrome called sarcopenia, which is a, a reduction in muscle mass, which occurs in all of us as we undergo the aging process. Well, caloric restriction would exacerbate that process. I mean, there are data, sh- uh, very consistent data showing um, reductions in in body mass and, and also in bone mass uh, in response to, you know, calorically restricted diets. So that's that's really not an answer for normal weight um, late middle age and older adults in terms of preserving their arterial health. And that's why I think probably um, 
you know, regular aerobic exercise in terms of cardiovascular health, regular aerobic exercise, and then eating a healthy diet composition and not overeating, not calorically restricting, but not overeating, probably is the ideal uh, platform for preserving arterial health. Now, there are a lot of barriers to all healthy lifestyle practices, uh, including aerobic exercise, including diet um, barriers such as access to healthy foods, access to um, places to exercise, and you know the built environments um, in in our cities in many cases are not really conducive for physical activity. Certainly not in the U.S. Uh, so there are there are a number of challenges to getting everyone. Um, to be able to engage regularly in healthy, healthy lifestyle practices. Um, it's not just will. It's there, there are a lot of legitimate barriers. So, again, we, we continue to, to advocate for those healthy lifestyle practices, but at the same time there is, you could argue, a biomedical need to determine if there are other ways um, to at least induce some of the benefits of those healthy lifestyle practices. And so we're trying to establish uh, via research, via, via actual scientific evidence, you know, the efficacy of these potential alternative approaches. I like to think of them as complementary to healthy lifestyle practices rather than alternatives, because I think we need to continue to advocate for the healthy lifestyle behaviors. But recognizing that there there are limitations there, what options can we provide the healthcare community? Again, that's evidence based and not just conjecture. Absolutely. Well, I sure hope you have good funding going into the future because we're all going to be relying on research like what you're doing to help us as the population ages. Yeah, funding is uh, our funding to to continue this work uh, is is uh, is pretty solid right now, and and so we'll we hope that the federal government and the National Institutes of Health, which fund biomedical research, uh, can continue to support research like this, for sure. Well, it definitely seems like there's been an explosion of interest in the aging research field. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for you. So before I let you go, Doug, um, a couple questions. Are you personally taking any of these interventional supplements that we talked about? No, uh, for me, um, I am able to uh, exercise regularly and um, and eat a healthy diet and manage my my energy intake. So you know, just as I was talking about before, that's the approach that I'm able to follow. So I'm actually not taking any of the supplements for that purpose. Well, that's a really good recommendation for the healthy lifestyle. So secondly, then, I will link to your website when I post the podcast for this interview and um, possibly also to some of your publications. Are you specifically looking for volunteers to participate in your lab experiments? Yes, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, and uh, if you're age, uh, particularly if you're age 50 and older, you can uh, contact our laboratory. You can uh, look at uh, our website. Where, again, we're in the Department of Integrative Physiology. The name of the laboratory uh, is the Integrative Physiology of Aging Laboratory. 
And you can just look on our website, and uh, all the information that you need to contact is on, us is on that website. And I will post a link to that website on the radio show's website as well. well That'd thank, be great. Thank you so and much. One, yeah. one, one more thing that I, if I could just um, uh, emphasize, we also manage a website called the Healthy Aging Project, and I don't know if you and I have talked about that before, but this is a CU-sponsored website in which we vet uh, all the information out there in the scientific literature that's related to healthy aging, and we maintain this website really in our off-off hours. We have no support to do this, but <laughs> my laboratory mains, maintains this website, and it's a community resource. So we're, we're doing it strictly for the community and to inform the community about, um, you know, real scientific evidence supporting various types of uh, healthy lifestyle practices or other uh, research related to healthy aging. So it's called the Healthy Aging Project. And... Um, I can send you the, the link for the website, but okay. if you just Google that. Yeah, I um, have seen the website, and I will yeah. also post a link to that, because you're right, that's a fantastic community yeah. resource. So hopefully yeah. people will learn some useful information, both from the interview and from the websites, and maybe you'll get some more volunteers. Well, good luck with your research, Doug. Yeah, thanks very much, Beth. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. That was Professor Doug Seals discussing some of his studies on the aging vascular system and how it contributes to diseases like atherosclerosis. But I hope you now know the damage is not inevitable. He offered some valuable suggestions for slowing and even reversing age effects in our vascular systems. For more information, I'll put the link to his lab and the Healthy Aging Project on our website. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Beth Bennett, and I produce and engineer this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Pat Benatar. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.